0: We're going to talk about forgiveness, and I think the place to start is just acknowledging the fact that as Americans, um, and as Americans who live in the part of the country that we live in, there may be a couple of things floating around in our minds that make it difficult for us to think about debt and forgiveness. And what does it mean to come to God and to ask Him to cancel our debts? Uh, Sometimes, uh, mission scholars, Bible scholars, theology uh, experts will say, your worldview is kind of like a pair of glasses. And you look through these glasses and you see the world through your glasses. And sometimes you're not aware of the glasses that you have on. And so sometimes it's just helpful to acknowledge I'm coming to the issue of forgiveness and debt with some things, just cultural things that we might take for granted. And I just kind of want to put them on the table so that we're aware of them. And then as we go through and talk about what does it mean uh, to ask God for forgiveness, we can sort of sort that out uh, as we make our way through it. So let's just acknowledge that as Americans, we live in a country that is very comfortable with debt. This is not... A Dave Ramsey speech, okay? I like Dave Ramsey, but this is not me pummeling you over the head with some kind of Dave Ramsey talk. I just want to acknowledge some some numbers here. And I'll just start by putting three numbers up on the screen a million, a billion, and a trillion. I think most of us can wrap our minds around a million. That's a big number, but I think most of us conceptually can get that. A billion is a lot bigger. And there may be certain situations where we can start to think about what a billion is, a billion of something, how much money that actually is. I'm not sure. I know you think you're really smart. Maybe you think you're a great math nerd or whatever. I don't know. I don't know that any of us really can understand even a trillion. A trillion is a really really big number. I'm not saying you can't do calculations. I'm not saying you can't give math answers and plug in a formula and do something like that. But to think about how big a trillion actually is, it just, your mind just starts to break down. Or maybe yours doesn't and mine is just very simple and mine starts to break down. But a trillion is just really, really big. So here's some numbers, okay? These numbers are from 2018. The average American family 2018 has a total debt of 135768 That number includes all debt, all ages, all families, 135000 uh, That includes your mortgage. It includes about $7,000 in credit card debt, and I don't mean $7,000 is what you charge each month and then you pay it off. I mean $7,000 is what you come to the end of the month and you make whatever payment you make, and that's still sitting there, okay, $7,000. Uh, In 28,000, average of car loan debt. I'd be interested to see what that number is in Odessa with all the big trucks driving around. I bet it's higher than 28,000, but who knows? Uh, Average debt. I know the average debt when you include mortgage in Odessa, Texas, is much higher than that for most people, but, anyways, that's the average numbers from across the United States. you're probably wondering, okay, if that's the total, and you told us how much is credit card and how much is the other, how does, how does student loans figure into this? Here's the numbers on student loans, 2018. Americans as a whole owed $1.5 trillion in student loans. That's a lot of money. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And when you do the math and the students, it comes out to about 76,000 per student. And look, these are statistics. You can get online. You can find bigger numbers. You can find smaller numbers. You can find all sorts of stuff. Americans are borrowing an incredible amount of money To educate ourselves. And you can say that's a good thing, or you can say that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just a fact. We're borrowing a lot of money to go to school. Federal debt, United States government. I checked out the debt clock this week. Uh, We're right at 22 trillion dollars, which means your cut is 68,000 bucks. You're on the hook for 68,000 bucks, every single American. As soon as you're born, 68,000. Um... We're, we're comfortable with debt. We just live with it. And you may be the anomaly, right? You may have got on the Dave Ramsey program and cut the credit cards up and paid the cars off and all that stuff. I don't know. But just as a whole, Americans, when we think about debt, you look at those numbers, even if you think those numbers are way high, we are people who just say that's how you do it. You just have debt. It doesn't really seem to bother us. We just That's the way that we operate, and we need to admit that. That's unique in our culture. In the ancient world, um, if you were a debtor, you had real big problems, right? In the ancient world, if you were a debtor, you probably ended up in some form of prison situation. Prisons in the ancient world were not populated uh, with criminals. Criminals were either executed or beat or banished. That, there's probably some wisdom to that, right? Take a criminal, either you beat them or you execute them or you just banish them. That's sort of how they handled things. If you were a debtor, they said, well, you know, that seems a little harsh for a debtor, but you're going to have to pay that debt. And so you could go to some sort of debtor prison situation and work it off. You could find yourself in some sort of situation of indentured servitude where you're paying that off. But you had to pay it off. People were not comfortable with just living with this kind of debt. Now, my guess is, even as I share those numbers with you, And even as we just admit, as Americans, we're very comfortable with debt. You probably look at your kids and your grandkids and think, I don't want you to have all that kind of debt. I don't want you to be crippled by all that debt. I I want you to get a good education and have a good paying job and spend less than you make and save a little and not pile up all of this debt because it can just be crushing on your life. I grew up. Um, in a family like that, where I was taught, not that debt is evil, but that if you don't have the money, you don't buy it. And I ran into a big problem in the seventh grade, because we just sang the song, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. And in the seventh grade, all that thrilled my soul, maybe the sixth grade, all that thrilled my soul was a green, dino, nitro, BMX bike. That was all that thrilled my soul. I was interested in nothing else. And it cost 125 bucks and I didn't have 125 bucks. My parents had it, but they said, Absolutely not. You have a perfectly good 10 speed we bought you two years ago. I, said, I don't want a 10 speed. That is not a cool bike in the sixth grade. I want the dyno and I want the green one and they have it at the shop and it's 125 bucks. And they said, Well, no, you don't get it. So I went to my grandparents. And I said, Mimi and Joe, there's a bike. It was right across the street from their house. And uh, I said, it's right over there. It's $125. And I knew they had the money, right? They definitely had the money. And they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll buy the bike for you, but you're going to have to work it off. We're not going to just give it to you. We're going to make you work for it. And we have a lawn that needs to be mowed once a week through the summer. And my grandmother got out her, uh, they, you know, there was no Excel spreadsheet then. So she got out her little green notebook with the, the lines and all that stuff. And she put it on there. And she still has the paper. I guarantee you she still has it in a notebook somewhere. And she wrote down, we bought the bike. It was this much. I guarantee you she has the receipt for the bike sitting in that tape to that thing. It's right there. And then she put it up at the top, 125 bucks. And then every time I would go over and mow, I think it was like 5 bucks. You mow. Five bucks, and she would write the date, any mode. She probably wrote the temperature down. She probably wrote down what I was wearing. I mean, it's all recorded there, and she made sure they made sure that I worked it off. Is that because they really needed the hundred twenty-five bucks back? No, I assure you, they don't need it. Is that because they don't like me? I assure you, I'm their favorite of all the grandkids. <laughs> Not a lot of competition, but i 'm the favorite. Um, yeah, you can tell my sister she knows she'll she knows she would agree with that. Um, they wanted to teach me that you pay your debts right that we think that 's a good character trait, right? Just as Americans, and do you see the the tension that we 're kind of dealing with when it comes to debt? On the one hand, everyone in our society seems to be borrowing to spend. Like, that's just kind of what Americans do. But then at the same time, you've got a subset of people in this culture that say, you need to not spend it if you don't have it. And if you are going to borrow it, you better pay it back. Every last penny. And my grandparents instilled something very good in me. The idea, now I know how much it costs to buy a $125 bike when you're making 5 bucks a week. I mean, it takes a long time to pay that off. And they instilled in me, you borrow the money, you pay it back. And we, we would look at our kids and our grandkids and we would say, we don't want you to be crippled by debt. We want you to pay off your debts. Be responsible. And then we come to Matthew 6. And Jesus starts to talk about a debt that we have. And Jesus does not say, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get out my green piece of paper spreadsheet. And I'm going to write your debt at the top. And every time you do a good thing, I'm going to record it. And you're going to work it off and you're going to earn it. Or you're going to earn your way. He doesn't say that. He just says, you need to come to your father, your heavenly father. And acknowledge that you owe a debt. And then you just need to ask him to clear it off. Is not the advice I got from my parents in dealing with my grandparents. Not once did my mom say, you know, you should just go over and see if they'll clear the, the green sheet off. They said, go mow the grass. That was the deal. You owe them. Get square. And yet Jesus tells us to do something very, very different. He just tells us in prayer to ask God to forgive our debts. We don't ask God to extend our payment plan. We don't ask God to waive the late fee on our payment this month. We don't ask God, God, can I refinance and extend this a few years? Because I'm a, I'm a little bit behind. Or we, we just come to him and we say, will you just clear the debt? Will you just wipe it away? Um, for some of us, we may be too proud to do that. We may have ingrained in us so strongly by our culture... No, I need, to, I need to work for it. I need to earn it somehow. And that's not what Jesus tells us to do here. He says, just ask God to clear it. That's what you're asking him to do. Some of us may be so comfortable with the idea of debt that we don't really see what the, why do I even need to ask God to forgive it? I mean, it, that, that's just what it is. We're so comfortable with it, it doesn't bother us at all. Jesus says, no, it's a problem. You need to deal with it. But the way you deal with it is you just come to God and you, you acknowledge it and you ask him to forgive it. And so let's try to think through what this means. Dr. Moeller has a quote that I think is a good lead in here. He says, if the petition, give us this day our daily bread, emphasizes our most urgent physical needs, then the petition, forgive us our debts, emphasizes our most urgent spiritual need. Saying we owe a debt to God means that we have failed to give him the obedience he is rightly due This is a gospel prayer. In asking God to forgive our debts, we're really thinking about the gospel and the good news that Jesus has done something for us so that our debt could be wiped clean. So let's think about this phrase, forgive us our debts. We start with the acknowledgement that we are sinners. We are sinners. Romans 3.23, I know it, many of you know it. You just flip in your Bible. Sometimes it's good to look up a verse even that you know. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a standard of right and wrong. And God gets to determine that standard. You and I don't get to determine it. God determines what the standard is. And Paul says, all of us have fallen short. You may feel like you've done better than your neighbor. You may feel like your neighbor's way down the scale from you. But Paul just sort of equalizes everything and he says, all of us have fallen short of what the standard is. And there's a consequence for that. We have a debt that we owe to God. Sin makes us debtors. And I think if you keep that in your mind, if you... Come to God in prayer, understanding, I have fallen short of your standard. You, you get to set the standard, and I haven't lived up to it. And you really come to God aware of who he is and who you are as a sinner who's fallen short. That changes the way that you pray. A quick story about Martin Luther. We remember Luther as the father of the Protestant Reformation. He preached and he wrote and he debated and stood up for the gospel and fought for the gospel in the Protestant Reformation. He died when he was 62 years old, 62, pretty young. Uh, he, had, he had lived a very hard life during his monk years, didn't eat well, uh, didn't take care of his body well, was doing that on purpose to punish himself for his sins, and later in life that sort of caught up to him, so was 62. When he died, he had a piece of paper in his pocket, and when They found the piece of paper. He had several things written in Latin, which was church language. And then he had one sentence at the bottom of the paper written in German, which was his language. And all it said written in German at the bottom of this note is this. We are beggars. This is true. I'm a beggar before God. I owe him a debt. And he lived and he preached and he stood up for the gospel and he stood up against the church. And he did all of these great things in his life because throughout his life he had this understanding. I'm in debt to God. I'm a beggar before God. I'm just coming asking him to forgive the debt that I owe him. And that shaped the way that he lived. And that shaped the way that he preached. And it shaped the way that he taught and the way that he prayed. So we start with this idea that we are sinners. And for Americans who get very, very, very comfortable with debt, we need to not be comfortable with the idea that we're sinners. We can't just say, well, you know, everybody everybody borrows all this money. We all live in debt. Well, everybody's a sinner. I don't really see what the big deal is. It is a big deal. We are sinners, and that puts us in debt to God. Next, Because of the way Jesus teaches us to pray, we have confidence that the Father is willing to forgive sin. Because of the way He teaches us to pray, Jesus tells us to say this. This is Jesus giving you permission. More than that, Jesus commanding you when you pray, you do it like this, and part of what you do, part of what you say is, Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Because Jesus tells us to do that, we have confidence that God is going to do it. Jesus wouldn't set us up. Jesus wouldn't say, hey, ask God for this. See what happens. There's no way he's going to do it. No chance. When he says, pray that God would forgive your debts, he knows the Father is eager to forgive our debts. And just look over at Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse 32 Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure. He loves to do this. It excites Him. It gets His, his, his excitement level up to give you the kingdom. He's not begrudging to give you the kingdom. He's not reluctant to forgive your sins. This sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says you come to God and you pay it off. You earn your way with him. And look, lots of religions acknowledge that we've fallen short. They just say the remedy is you fill up the the other side of the ledger and it balances out in the end. And if it balances out in your favor, you'll be good to go. But you're going to have to do something To make your way right here. And Christianity says, all you do is you come and you say, God, I have a debt and I need you to forgive it. That's it. It's as simple as that. And Jesus teaches us to pray that, which tells us this is the, the character of the Father. He's eager to forgive us. Luke 12, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. I talk to people regularly who say something like this, you know, I I keep I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, and I just think God's tired of forgiving me. I just think he's probably he's probably had enough. Like he's just fed up with me, and you know I I I feel like I shouldn't even ask for forgiveness again because he's just got to be really worn out with it. Like they have this mindset that when they come to God and ask Him to forgive their sins, He's up there. And he hears the, the request and he goes, <sighs> Okay, one more time. That, that he's reluctant or that he's rolling his eyes or that he's, he's begrudging to forgive. And that's not the picture painted of the Father at all in the New Testament. That's not a biblical idea for you or me or for anyone to have. That God is up up there reluctant to forgive people of their sins. It's his good pleasure to give the kingdom to his people. Jesus says, pray like this, forgive me my debts. It tells us something about God's character and it gives us confidence that he's willing to forgive. There's an Anglican theologian named Richard Sibbs. I put this quote in your notes. He lived in the 1500s and the 1600s. Uh, he has a famous quote that says, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Sometimes we get that completely upside down. Sometimes we can be so discouraged or so so uh, uh, just downcast with the reality of our sin that we begin to sort of think differently about the Father than we should. and We think, I, I just don't know if he will forgive me. I just don't know if he'll forgive me for the... 50th time or the 51st time or the 52nd time. I mean, I've come to him every day this year asking for the same thing. And Jesus is telling us right here he he is eager to forgive. We have confidence that he's willing to forgive sin. Next, the Father is willing to forgive sin because the Son paid our debt. He paid our debt. don't have in your mind God the Father, old jolly grandpa up in the sky, you come and ask for forgiveness, and he just says, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, we're just going to take that sin and sweep it under the rug of heaven, and we'll just pile it up there and forget about it. That's not not the picture of forgiveness. When we come before the Father. The picture of forgiveness when we come before the Father is that God is eager. The Father is eager to forgive our sins because our debt has been paid. And I just want you to look at some of these verses. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark 10 verse 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom or to give his life as a payment for many. He came to die to make a payment that would set us free. He died as a ransom. Flip over and look at Romans 3 again. Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption. Redemption, it's the same idea as ransom, right? A payment has been made through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the one, verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel. When God forgives our sin, he's not just saying, ah, it's no big deal, forget about it. He's saying it's a huge deal. It's such a big deal that the only way for it to be dealt with rightly is if the Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price and covered your tab and wiped your account clean, and you get his righteousness in exchange. Right? We're making a, an accounting transaction of sorts. Your sin is counted as paid for by Christ, and His righteousness is counted as yours, and you receive that by faith. He paid our debt. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God. He became sin for us. Those of us who have fallen short have somebody who took on our sin and who paid our debt so that we could be forgiven. This happens through the cross, right? The only thing when we come to God in the Lord's Prayer and we say, forgive us our debts, we want to be forgiven people. The only thing we contribute to that transaction is sin. That's what we bring to the table. I have sin to contribute. That's it. And I'm asking you to deal with it. I'm just asking you to forgive me. This is what Augustus Toplady was thinking in Rock of Ages, his hymn, when he said, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I clean. Meaning, nothing in my hands. I don't have anything good to offer you. This is not a barter. This is not an exchange where I have something good to get your forgiveness in exchange with. All I have is sin. I, I just come empty-handed. I lay my sin down. And I'm empty-handed receiving forgiveness from you. Why? Because God the Son paid our debt. Uh, One quick thought here. We ask God for forgiveness in the moment of salvation, but we also ask God for forgiveness throughout our lives as believers. And so one of the interesting things, if you dig into commentaries, they, they argue, verse 12, Matthew 6, Forgive us our debts. Is that the prayer of a sinner coming to Christ for the first time asking for forgiveness? Or is that the prayer of a believer asking Christ to forgive them day after day after day? And my thought is yes. Both. And I put a quote in here that disagrees with me. Right, James Boyce. He says, The Lord is not speaking of the forgiveness we receive in the first moment of our salvation. He's speaking of forgiveness that comes later comes repeatedly, a forgiveness that restores a broken relationship with God. I agree that's part of what we're talking about with forgiveness, but I don't see why it excludes a sinner coming and saying for the very first time, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that and I need you to forgive me. I think it's both. It's a a, an initial forgiveness at salvation and a repeated forgiveness throughout our life. So let's think about this next phrase, right? Phrase one, forgive us our debts, phrase two, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. I just want to say a couple of things quick. Number one, Jesus does not tell us to ask God to forgive our debts because we have forgiven others. Jesus does tell us to ask God to forgive our debts as we have forgiven others. And this really is not just being nitpicky about words. This is a really important distinction. It would be one thing if Jesus said, come before the Father and ask the Father to forgive you because you have forgiven other people. That would not be coming, like Top Lady said, with nothing in our hands. That would be coming with, God, look how forgiving I am to other people. And because I have done this, I'm asking you to do the same for me. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do. Jesus is saying, you ask God to forgive your sins as or like or in the same way as you have forgiven the sins of others. It's not because of anything that we have done, but there's a parallel between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And so you can think about it this way. Forgiven people will be forgiving people. Forgiven people will be forgiving people. Look at Matthew 18. Jesus told a lot of parables, and this one is the most direct, I think most powerful one in dealing with this issue of forgiveness. Matthew 18, we're just going to read it, starting in verse 21. Peter came up, And he said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? We talked about this passage at the marriage conference a little bit. Um, He's asking this question because Jesus just talked about if your brother sins, you need to go confront him. And if he repents, you need to forgive him. So Peter says, well, how many times are we going to do that? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. We talked about that kind of situation earlier. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have Patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Notice he doesn't ask for forgiveness, does he? He asks for refinancing, right? Put me on the extended payment plan. I'm going to pay it all. Verse 27 Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I told you earlier, we're not going to say everything that could be said about the issue of forgiving other people and how that plays out. But when you read that parable, it's very clear that Jesus is making a a pretty important point. And the point is, if you have been forgiven a great debt, that should change the way that you relate to other people if you understand that there's a standard and that you've fallen short and that that's a serious problem, that's not just the status quo and par for the course, that's a serious problem and you understand what it means to come to God and say, God, forgive me. Just wipe it clean. And you feel the weight of that forgiveness and the the significance of that forgiveness. That should then change the way that you relate to other people who wrong you and then seek some sort of forgiveness or some sort of mercy. What Jesus is saying is people who have been forgiven should in turn be forgiving. And so we'll end with this thought. This part of the Lord's Prayer moves our focus beyond our relationship with God to include our relationships with other people. The part of the prayer, we, we started with a quote from Dr. Moeller, the part of the prayer that gets to the heart of our most urgent spiritual need, our relationship with God. God, I have a debt with you and I'm asking you to wipe it clean and to forgive me. I'm not asking you to sweep it under the rug. I'm not asking you to pretend like it's not a big deal. I'm asking for forgiveness because Jesus has paid my debt. And I'm confident that because payment has been made, that you, in your character, in your person, you are eager and ready to forgive. I'm asking you to forgive me. This key part of the prayer, dealing with how we relate to God, then goes horizontal and says there's a connection between how you relate to God and how you relate to other people. And this is an important part of prayer because we've talked about prayer over the last several weeks We said prayer is essentially a relationship with God. It's the experience of relating to God. It's communion or fellowship with God. It's enjoying the relationship. It's not studying about God in an academic way, but it's actually relating to Him. In this part of the prayer, in that key part of how we relate to God, it turns it completely horizontal and says, it's not enough for you just to live right with God, When you live right with God and you're forgiven and you enjoy relationship with him, that must have impact on how you deal with the people in your everyday life. The time you spend talking, just you and God, asking for bread, asking for forgiveness, praying that his kingdom would come, praying that God's will would be done, all these spiritual things we talk about and we pray about, have some application into the way that we deal with other people and we relate to other people. So there you go. A few thoughts on forgiveness.